Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be giving you 20 minutes or so of our thoughts of matters in and around the hotel and operational real estate space. My name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined on the call by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And I'm going to start this week by considering uh, news from the world of serviced offices. I mean, I'd like to think of them maybe as uh, the, the equivalent of a daytime hotel with desks rather than just beds. Um, we've been taking a look at the annual results and outlook uh, from both uh, IWG, formerly known as Regis, and uh, their upstart uh, rivals WeWork. IWG, of course, has been around for many years uh, and uh, has built themselves into a solid business that's been through previous downturns. WeWork, meantime, are still uh, struggling to shake off the rather over-exuberant start they had in the market and uh, have yet to declare a profit. Indeed, uh, we've we've written our perspective piece and as we were just polishing it, we heard news that WeWork has agreed a restructuring of its not insubstantial debts. Um, and they have promised that maybe, maybe by the end of this year, they actually might be in the black, at least for a quarter. Um, What's interesting about this space is that uh, these two uh, are potentially going to benefit from the new exciting world, post-pandemic world of hybrid working. Um, And what's also interesting is that IWG is increasingly following a hotel-style model of growth by franchising and management contracts and is no longer signing leases on whole office buildings, which is the way they grew uh, in previous growth spurts. But IWG at least is turning in a modest profit as they look forward to the exciting world of accommodating hybrid workers around the globe. Yes, asset light, the ongoing hotelification of all sorts of bits of operational real estate, I would suggest. Your analogy there, Chris, of offices as daytime hotels, with but with desks rather than beds, made me reflect on a couple of examples of uh, people where they actually sleep in their offices. The first is uh, corporate lawyers, of course, who are uh, overworking themselves, are forced to snooze under their desks. Um, um, in the early hours and uh, it reminded me of what I used to do when I worked for the campaign for real ale I wasn't overworking but rather I'd, I'd gone out at lunchtime and sampled some of the local wares and <laughs> <laughs> not used to the the lunchtime drinking I regularly fell asleep on my keyboard but anyway right a passage right yes, passage for many like young journalists <laughs> <laughs> something like that um but uh, um, going back to the issue at hand, hybrid working, I think, um, is a net positive for the hotel sector. Sure, there is a, a slight negative impact in that it, if you don't have that same th- um, flow of commuters going past the door, you will see a bit um, loss, uh, a bit of lost passing trade. But I think obviously this is going to impact far more the coffee bars and the sandwich shops than it will the hotel hoteliers where the hoteliers really will gain is the increased appetite for team building events Um, so there's a there's a big thing there I think there's less compelling is the opportunity for creating um, some sort of co-working thing within a hotel unless you're going to go all in on it Um, so I think you know we have examples of that obviously we've got um, Wojo um, which is really a, a straight co-working thing but with Accor as a as an investor in that business but I think we've also got hoteliers setting up um, uh, coherent um, 
pitches at at the co-working piece um i would point to uh village hotels and i know you use one of their uh, uh one of their properties chris to do a bit of co-working yourself so that v works piece that village mm-hmm. do um i think it's very effective less effective is where you've just stuck a few co-working type desks in a hotel uh, lobby area oh, that's that, that quite just a corner of the uh, quite a corner of the lobby what should yeah, we do with that, that yeah, yeah yeah that that that's not um I would suggest a, a meaningful um, benefit from it. Um, the other indirect benefit, apart from the the need for um, get-togethers by um, workers who are largely home working, um, um, is actually what it's doing to the office market. Now, the office market is the biggest slug of the commercial property market um, in round numbers, about forty percent of it. Um, it's taken something of a hit nowhere near as bad as retail the other um uh biggie um that's been been shaken um by changes uh in in caused by well in, in that case uh pre um pandemic issues in terms of online uh, shopping and this is really online working which has come in in a post-pandemic environment so both office and retail are truly suffering just leaving um, industrial really as a beneficiary of it in terms particularly if you if you think about uh, warehousing for for um, internet shopping um, but in terms of uh, hotels net net i think now they look a much more attractive asset um, class for real estate investors because of how much uglier their rivals are now looking so it's not always a case of you have to improve your your looks sometimes if you if if your rivals get uglier um, it, that can help you too and I think this is the case um, that we're seeing with office and certainly the case is what we're seeing with uh, retail now I think some of the end of the office thing is slightly over exaggerated but you know there are some real bears out there um, now our partners at the uh, operational real estate festival um, our academic partners um, are University College London uh, specifically the Bartlett Real Estate Institute and they wrote a blog uh, earlier this year where they looked at how badly hit the office market is going to be from working from home and they suggested that um, something as much as 40% of the value of offices is going to be wiped out Um, so they're looking at office buildings in 20 29 are going to be down that much um which is you know quite something actually i'd suggest um and you know the, the opposite is going to be happening with um, hotels and most other operational real estate asset classes which are going to be increasing in value i would suggest over the over that period the other thing is um, in terms of that you know we're going to get more investor interest is also you're going to have more opportunity uh, within the existing built environment because as offices are lay vacant you're going to see conversions now we had a slight foretaste of this in the netherlands um back in 2017 there was a big spate of office overbuilding in, in that country and that led to a, a very large vacancy rate um, um, in 2017 just under 16 percent of the floor area of all offices was vacant according to official stats um, and this led to a lot of conversions mostly to residential um, but there was a significant proportion of hotels too and this could well be the case that there are opportunities 
popping up thanks to offices becoming redundant so i think to sum up um you know co-working is an opportunity for hoteliers prepared to invest sufficiently um, in it to seize it but otherwise i think it's largely a case of hoteliers benefiting from the storm in the office market and that storm actually floating all hospitality boats now i'm going to go back to the hotel sector and talk about corporate reorganizations and uh, we've seen the uh, accor very recently get very excited about the fact they are splitting themselves down the middle uh, into two halves um, and uh, jiggling around uh, who's going to captain which part of which ship uh, we've also seen uh, hyatt uh, consume uh, Apple Leisure and uh, in that uh, situation seemingly kind of fitting some of the executives in but by and large staying in, in principally the same structure but not to be left out we've got uh, Marriott uh, announcing a few changes um, on the on the deck of the good the, of the good ship uh, Marriott and uh, there's there's a few changes about largely some internal promotions um, as as, we, as you might expect with Marriott, nothing quite so dramatic as Accor, um, but just a kind of a, perhaps a little streamlining, a little tidying up and a little moving around of um, some of the individuals uh, involved. Uh, Andrew, what do you make of the changes? Mm, well, at first sight, this is the dullest story on earth. <laughs> Big corporate um, see some executives leave and replaces them with some other executives. Mo <laughs> so, most of them. So how how exciting is that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> um, not very exciting um, if you just look at it like that. But I think underlying this, um, there's something um, significantly more significant. And this is connected with brands. So if we go back to when um, the untimely uh, passing of Arnie Sorensen as Marriott CEO um, there was uh, a choice between Capuano and Linnets as CEO um, and Capuano had this um, uh, he, he he was the deal person um, in particular he was the you know the development person delivering on the pipeline and Linnets was the brand specialist and in fact the top job went to Capuano which I think was instructive or you know what is Marriott seeing as the most important thing here um, um, it's that uh, pipeline it's that's what we always bang on about net unit growth thing is the driver here um, and it made me think well you know back to the mid 2000s we saw that raft of consumer brand company executives coming into the hotel sector signaling the big change in how brand was all so between 2004 and 2005 we saw Andy Coslett joining IHG as CEO um, he was at uh, um, drinks company Cadbury Schweppes we had Steve Hire joining Starwood from Coke um, Hire didn't last that long there was a few issues um, and we had Ian Carter becoming CEO of Hilton International uh, from Black & Decker so we thought oh this this heralds a sea change in the the time Types of CEOs we now have at uh, the global brand majors they're very much emphasis on that B word the brand word um, maybe you know the, and the uh, the the ascent of Capuano sort of could be seen as a reverse of that almost I would suggest not however in as much as I think uh, the, the whole brand ethos has now been embedded in the companies themselves um, um, and if anything I would suggest hotel groups are now more focused today on brands than they were back in those those mid-2000s um, you know we can see the number of brands being created um, and also I think crucially 
um, how companies are changing how they are organized um, so the big thing at Accor which we've reported on and spoke about on this podcast is how they've now got this uh, luxury and lifestyle hotels division um, separated off from um, um, its power brands bit where they've got the Ibis and the Novotel and those a few bits and bobs like Mervyn Pick and Swiss Hotel as well um, but the main luxury and lifestyle bit it's no longer geographic it's done on uh, brand lines and I think that's quite significant um, in terms of how they're doing that and in a way there's a sort of mini me version um, by Marriott here of that that move by um, Accor um, and and that's with the appointment of um, somebody to head up the the luxury piece um who's now on the main uh tina edmondson um she's now on the main uh operating board of marriott um so i think her ascent into that role signals that marriott are also looking not just in terms of geographies but looking along the brand lines albeit right now just at that luxury and lifestyle bits for the time I, being or just the luxury i thought bit. it was interesting mm. that her uh, her new uh, underling uh, is, has been appointed as SVP Global Brand and Portfolio PR. She's come actually from the fashion sector, so she's an external hire, and she's coming from fashion. Interesting. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that uh, again that reinforces this whole brand point and how seriously they're they're taking the brands. You take a look at what's been going on in the REIT sector. These uh, real estate investment trusts uh, a format, a low tax, tax efficient format which is designed to uh, hold real estate uh, and give investors back a large slice of the, the profits they make, um, uh, is, a, is a kind of a format that's been adopted across stock markets across the world and um, to a greater or lesser degree of success. Uh, we've just seen um, a, a number of them now merging to kind of broaden their exposure to different uh, parts of the real estate landscape, uh, but also in a bid to improve their kind of operational efficiencies by going for scale economies. And uh, there's been a, a 3.5 billion pound merger between two retail uh, REITs in uh, London. Uh, and of course, we've also seen other deals recently. Uh, l last year, we saw two REITs which uh, are based in the UK and hold quite a number of hotel assets uh, merge again to um, seek scale economies and also kind of a little bit more um, strength in depth, shall we say. Um, so interesting to see how this current environment is, is changing the behavior of, of REITs and uh, big, it seems, is beautiful. Yeah, very much the case that big is beautiful um, and also having the ability to raise equity is, is pretty beautiful in a market where uh, debt finance is getting tighter and tighter. Now, of course, we've had, as we were recording this, we've just had the Credit Suisse bailout and we've had just before that the Silicon Valley Bank uh, collapse. Um, both of those things were very bad news in terms of the debt markets and how much tighter they have can't become as a result of that. Um, so it, it's super tough at the moment in the debt markets. Um, if you want to look for a silver lining, I'd suggest it, it almost certainly means the end of the rate uh, interest rate rising uh, cycle so um, interest rates are probably going to be um, 
capped um, where they are at the moment. Now, this is famous last words. We're recording this just ahead of the Bank of England's meeting on Thursday, mm-hmm. and they could well just push them up 50, another 50, right 25 or bips. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but I suspect, in my hunch, is that really we're going to stay now at 4% in the UK. It might just go up to, you know, four and a quarter percent but i think that will mark the end of it equally um it's very hard to see the european central bank pushing rates much higher or the federal reserve in the us um so that's that's the kind of good news for that but this tightening of the credit markets was already well underway anyway um I looked at uh, um, the British Business Bank, a report by the the UK government-owned British Business Bank, and uh, um, this report was Small Business Finance Markets 2022-2023, and that showed how the big five banks who normally dominate, they normally provide the bulk of uh, small business lending, um, they've now for the first time been overtaken by challenger and specialist banks. Um, This happened in 2022. So the challenger and specialist banks now hold, well held um, at the end of 22 or during 2022, they made 55% of the lending in the market. Um, So that, that was the first time they overtook the big five um but you know what we have seen and what the the british business bank said was that higher interest rates have increased um the cost of wholesale funding by 50 percent so we've seen this this and that inevitably is passed on to the borrowers and you know anybody who's um, been approaching banks in the last uh six to twelve months will well know just how how tight uh, things have got and how much more expensive lending is but in any environment like this where you have a bit of a credit squeeze it's those with access to credit are going to be the big winners Mm -hmm. and among those big winners are going to be the REITs Um, I took a look at LXI who owns um, um, who own a big chunk of travel lodges and they they took uh, they talked about uh, the three R's um, refinancing recycling capital and re-gearing leases and they've done all of these things in the last or six months or so so um, they've just this month ex- had a 150 million pounds uh, refinancing with an insurance group and extended an existing facility with HSBC uh, they re-geared the Travelodge hotels at the very end of last year and back in September they sold off an income strip um, on their uh, amusement park their Merlin amusement park portfolio um, and that income strip was uh, represented 30% of the rent on that portfolio and they made 257 million um, in that sale so in this way they've been able to um, uh, demonstrate their strength I think um, in the marketplace and position themselves well for opportunities and I think other REITs are in a similarly strong position right now now the thing is how much longer is this you know this tight financing thing going to stay well I think the pricing's here to stay I just don't think we're going to see significant drops in interest rates we maybe um, will see a slight you know maybe the Bank of England will ease up a little bit um, over the next 12 months possibly Um, but I think the good news is I don't think they're going to be going up I think inflation is very much going down now provided um, inflation uh, wage demands don't get out of hand and we see the the infamous wage 
uh, price spiral um, and and this sticky type of inflation um, doesn't get hold will be okay uh, certainly what we're seeing is the supply side shocks that delivered us this initial bout of double digit inflation that is rapidly rapidly receding so just look at the price of oil right now it's down more than 10% this month and it's down almost 40% in the past year now of course this doesn't make the headlines but I think this is hugely important for where inflation is heading and gives confidence that forecast so the latest was the Office for Budget Responsibility in the UK, the official government forecasting body um, suggesting we're going to be down at the sort of 2-3% level of inflation by the end of the year. That does give confidence um, that that's going to um, be the case. Um, so I think if anything, what we've seen with this this tightening of the credit markets, um, the, the forecasts we've been making for some time now, and a number of others have been making, is that it's going to be a very slow H1. The first half of this year is going to be very slow on the deal-making front, but we're going to see a booming second half. I think that's been very much reinforced. And just finally, sort of thoughts on another thought on REITs, um, because I was looking at... Uh, that massive mainland European REIT, uh, Cavivio, and their portfolio. And it kind of, this kind of circles back to uh, your comments uh, with, our, with our first section today, which was that uh, Cavivio's got their hand in offices, residential, and in hotels uh, across various mainland European markets. And they are realizing that uh, they need to learn from the hotel sector in the way they deliver their office space um, and converting some of their uh, French. Uh, office assets to much more managed uh, where they deliver all sorts of support services and offer really flexible contracts um, easy in easy out and um, it's interesting to see them them cross fertilize one one sort of set of uh, expertise uh, from from one property niche into another yeah the hotelification continues apace. absolutely now we're going to turn to our five star and no star awards of this week and uh, those of you who listened to last week's podcast will have heard Andrew opining about the complication of, of the green issues and the plethora of, of sustainability um, models and so I've got some great news for you Andrew we have news of a merger <laughs> the Sustainable Hospitality Alliance who are based obviously in, uh, in, in the West are in discussions to merge with Green Hospitality who are a similar organisation based in Hong Kong so um, uh, here here's to the uh, amalgamation that will reduce the plethora of standards and produce more uniformity and no stars this week go to uh, another uh, lawsuit in the hotel sector. The US group Seidel has launched a lawsuit against uh, Ennismore and its co-CEOs. This dates back to 2018 when Seidel was looking to sell half its business and let's not go into the details. The important point is that it's always bad when uh, people in uh, the hotel sector start slinging mud at one another in a courthouse. Uh, we all know the lawyers are the, are the ultimate winners um, but it doesn't do good to have your dirty washing aired in public. Although it makes for good copy for us, Chris. Absolutely. So. <laughs> and on that happy note, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs> <laughs>